fellow nerds, and welcome to the Mostly Normal Gamers podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. This is episode 68, and we are recording on Tuesday, October 6th, 2020. Woo! I hope everyone's doing well. This week, we're going to talk about Genshin Impact, Xbox preview roundups, and a little bit of hands-on with the PS5 out of Japan, uh, thanks to some YouTubers. Joining me today is one of my two regular co-hosts, October's very own John Swanson. John, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm feeling just fine. I'm excited about the holiday season upon us. You know, everybody's getting all spooky on Twitter already and changing their names to ghost this and haunted that. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's getting me excited for the the Halloween season uh, for the first time in a really long time. I don't know how do you, how do you relate to October and like spooky season? I I enjoy it. I have my I wish I I would love to like horror movies if they didn't scare the shit out of me so much. Yes, um, big same, super relatable. <laughs> yeah, like I love horror movies, but I hate, I'll watch a preview for a horror movie and be like, oh my God, I want to see that. And then never watch it because I know it'll cause me to lose sleep for at least two or three days. And I can't really afford to do that at this point in time. So yeah, not, um, not at this point in your life. <laughs> well, like a good example is the movie Get Out, which is a fantastic movie and it's more suspenseful. It's not, a, I wouldn't even classify it as a horror movie if you've seen that movie. Oh yeah. And like I had a very good experience with Get Out. Yeah. It's a fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, it's Jordan Peele, right? Like he does yeah. fantastic work. But um, anyway, in that movie, like, I don't think I slept very well for two nights in a row after that. So um, definitely that's about my tolerance for it. But I do. I like the idea of it and I like that other people enjoy it. I just don't really care for fall, to be quite honest with. you. Oh, OK. Fall is my favorite season. So this is kind of like the inaugural kickoff, you know, to use football yeah. terms. I'm trying to yeah. get into football, John, but that's not this podcast. This podcast definitely not. is the Mostly Normal Gamers podcast. So I'm going to give you the lowdown if you want to be a part of the conversation or if you have a pressing question for us to weigh in on like we answered last week, uh, please reach out to us at, at MN Gamers Podcast on Twitter. Or if you're more of an old-fashioned type person, you can reach us at podcast at mostlynormalgamers.com to send us an email. Lastly, we've updated our website, mostlynormalgamers.com. Please go check it out. It has my bio up on it. Um, and you can continue to sign up for our newsletter, Mostly Normal Monthly, uh, which you can subscribe to via that website or directly from mngamers.substack.com. The next issue will go out on Monday. Um, please look forward to reading our thoughts about Final Fantasy VII Remake, you know, six months after everyone else has already <laughs> talked it to death, and um, Hades. And I don't know what John's <laughs> working on for it, but I think there might be some humor <laughs> going on this month. Uh, so there will be a lot to look forward to. Um, and it can go straight to your inbox if you get uh, signed up before Monday. Yeah, I better get cracking on mine. I, I have some ideas back there, but um trying to still put them all together. But nothing like a deadline to make you. Yeah, dude. <laughs> start that's work, right. You know, <laughs> uh, that's been my approach to life to in general. Final Fantasy seven. <laughs> yeah. Well, nothing like a fire <laughs> under our ass to make you get moving, man. That's for sure. Exactly. Speaking of fire under our asses. Yeah. Uh, John, what have you been playing this week? Well, I think we've both been playing Hades, so I don't know how far you've gotten, and I don't... These are like micro-spoilers. I guess I haven't finished a run through it yet, but 
but I've yeah. gotten to Elysium, so I beat the first two bosses or my mini bosses, however you want to refer to them. I would call those like boss. Bosses, yeah, boss bosses. Yeah. What what was your experience like reaching Elysium and have you stuck with the game since like making it that far? Do you feel like you got there? Like my experience with reaching Elysium was like literally on my second or third playthrough. I got a really good kit, beat the second boss, reached Elysium and then like got overwhelmed. But I was like, wow, like I feel like I really am like clicking with this game and I got really motivated to like keep checking things out. How quickly did you reach that like third level? I don't know if there's a good way to tell how many hours you've put into the game, but I feel like I've probably played it like maybe six ish hours. And okay. I, I don't know. It took me a while to beat. Well, all the bosses kind of took me a while of running into and slowly building up your character before um, I was able to beat Magura and then, the why can I never remember the name of the skeleton? The Bone snake? Hydra. Yeah, the Bone Hydra. Um, yeah. And then I got about a couple levels into Elysium and then died and then decided I wasn't going to go back right away. Um, for sure. But, and I think the game rewards you for using different weapons and builds, um, which I've been mostly sticking with the shield the entire time because you can block with it. <laughs> And yeah, I find that incredibly helpful. Really cool. Yeah. What's your main? I've been rotating. I just kind of have avoided the bow. I had one okay run with it early on, but I'm recognizing like, so I made it to the final boss and lost probably like halfway through the health bar of the final boss. As far as I know, I mean, there could be a boss past it, but like, I don't want to spoil it in case anyone's listening, but right. if you think you know who the final boss might be, I got halfway through the health bar of that final boss, if I am assuming correctly. And so um, it seems like a lot of the harder levels, like especially once you reach Elysium, require you to be able to attack really, really quickly and be like very mobile and be able to deal with large groups of enemies. And maybe there's a build for the bow that works for that, but I definitely feel like times when I've had the sword, times when I've been spamming the shield throw, which is the run that I made it all the way to the final boss with, are definitely times that I've felt more able to deal with those big groups of enemies. Yeah. Um, Is there a particular build that's like stood out to you as your favorite one that you've ended up with? Just knowing like, you know, for people who don't know, um, you pick a weapon at the start and then you get a blessing or an upgrade from different Olympian gods, uh, basically not every room that you clear but like you get some benefit every room you clear and very often those will be blessings from olympian gods that like give you a big boost to the way the weapon works um have you had a build that you like really felt like clicked in for you yeah i honestly don't think i was paying a lot of attention i think i messaged you guys um when i first started playing that i uh was just kind of going with whichever one was epic like the most rare one that was available of the three because you get basically every time you're presented with an upgrade from a god you're you have three choice it's basically three choices and it's either your cast or your main attack or your uh special or whatever um 
and they vary in their um, rarity. So I would just pick the most rare one. And now that I'm paying a little bit more attention to what each one does and I'm more familiar with how the shield works in general, I'm finding that I pay more attention to those things. And the other thing that I find fun about the game is it if you're rewarded in a first in the first section, say you're trying to get past Megara, you'll find that one build is very good for that, but that same build isn't necessarily going to be ideal for the next. So it's it's interesting how it tries to balance your decision making and then you can like wipe out what you have and hope that you build something that's more suitable for your future encounters. Um, but I can't yeah, I think, think of anything offhand that's been like your all time favorite. Well, yeah. Where I was like, Oh shit, this is great. Yeah. I, I think it gives you the opportunity to like sell off your upgrades after you beat a boss. Am I wrong? No, you're right. Is that, is that what you were talking about? Yeah, like exactly. Able to kind of like respec as you get to the next thing. Yeah. I think that's really smart. And, so I had the first time I used the shield, I was introduced to Dionysus, who's like the god of wine and is delightful. And they're all pretty Dionysus, delightful, I would say. But he's no, for sure, yeah, for sure. Um, he has the ability to inflict hangovers on your enemies if you choose his blessings, and so you can throw the shield with your special attack. And every time the shield now hit someone, it was inflicting hangover, which stacks the more you hit them. So right. I was just spam throwing this shield all around the arena and just stacked upgrades on this, you know, special attack inflicts hangover um, to the point where it was doing like 11 damage a second every time that they had a hangover point. And you can go up to like four or five points of hangover. And so it was doing like 55 damage per second to every enemy that I hit with the shield. And I got an upgrade that made it chain out to hit up to four enemies before returning to me. So I would just throw it around the room nonstop and then dash away. <laughs> and that's the build that I made it all the way to the end with. And it just felt like very broken unless you were in a boss fight. And it still felt really broken because it's like you get to stay away from them, but you stay mobile. And you're also like, constantly keeping damage going on them i don't know i barely ever used the block with the shield though i was yeah. just moving around and throwing it constantly right and what does the hangover even do i don't think i've ever used that one it's kind of like poison damage okay. in our rpg right so it's literally like for a limited amount of time they're gonna take i think it starts out at like seven or eight damage a second um until it wears off but then you can stack it. So at level one, it's seven or eight. And then I think it like multiplies by two at level two. So if you hit them twice with your weapon, the poison counter will go up. Um, and I got it going up to like four or five in certain fights. Um, so they just like, the enemies just melt. Nice. Maybe I'll have to check that out, I guess. There are some where I'm, I, I don't know. I guess in my haste, I have just kind of, ignored it or liked my build that I have and I don't want to exchange one for another you know um well there is that like interesting trade-off right of like I think if you start stacking upgrades like it like I was saying like it makes it stronger and stronger so exactly. it's really appealing to say I'm going to just really go after using the shield special right now because it gets better and better 
and the trade-off becoming like, well, like, I feel like it's like a min-maxing thing where it's like, it would be cool to be like a really balanced, well-rounded person who's like, well, this is what happens when I use my melee attack, like regular attack with the shield. And this is what happens when I charge up. And this is what happens when I throw it. But I think it's a situation where it's like, if you go all in on something, it pays dividends. And so it can make it really, it made me really hesitant to like try and pick other things. And I like very intentionally, like anytime I saw Dionysus logo on a door, I would go after that because it felt so powerful. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I feel like I've kind of uh, avoided using Dionysus stuff for the most part. Um, I also just love the idea that a hangover is so painful that it's killing these enemies. It makes me really, really happy. Yeah. I can definitely um, uh, get behind that. I, I one more other thing I wanted to say was like I know this. I guess I've been hearing a lot of comparisons to Dead Cells and the fact that it's a roguelike, no roguelite, and uh, you know you keep some of your upgrades every time you start over again. And I, I loved Dead Cells, man. Like. I played that game on my switch, like just run after run after run after run. And then it got to the point where a run you would get to the end and it would take you like an hour to hour and a half to get to the end and then you would die. So it was like Mm -hmm. quite an investment to do that. And I don't know that I'm getting to the exact same point with Hades, but I'm just finding it that by the time I get, like, I know I have to beat Elysium and then I know there's at least one place after that. And it's going to be taking me like, at least an hour to do that and then i it just gets a little bit arduous after a while with starting over again and not knowing that each time you start then it's going to take you like 45 minutes to an hour you know what i mean then it becomes almost like a live service game where you can't get interrupted for that time or whatever yeah i i agree with like the feeling of it becomes a burden once you get to the point where it's like okay i'm consistently making it 30 to 40 minutes into this game, which means I feel like I need to set aside 30 to 40 minutes of time to just like really dedicate to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, And it takes away from like, there's no part of it that is piecemeal and like easy to pick up and play and then set down. Except like, are you playing it? Like, I know you said you had it early access um, on the PC. I'm playing it on switch. And so I'll clear a room and then just pause it and put the switch to sleep. Yeah. And that's worked really well for me to be able to like do it a little bit more bite-sized, but I definitely feel like if I'm in a flow state, I don't want to stop. Exactly. Like if I feel like I'm like, yeah, it's like part of it's like getting into that like mentality of like, okay, I'm like playing this game now. And like, you do lose that if you're like pausing it and putting it down and picking it back up. Right. Later. And you kind of, you have a tendency to maybe forget exactly what your build was. If you come back to it, like the next day or even like a few hours later, like exactly what you were doing. So um yeah yeah and i i'm hoping i think they're supposed to implement a cross save option where uh you can log in with your epic account and like transfer your saves you know so if that happens then i might get it on switch but as for now but i can do the same thing i can suspend it and whatever it's not the end of the world so um yeah it's a it's a good game man i've been hearing uh gay game of the year conversation thrown around and I'm not to knock on the game. It's certainly, I wouldn't count on it in my uh, top contention for game of the year, but I can definitely see where some people would. 
Yeah, I my list is a lot shorter of like games from 2020 that I've played since I'm always like dredging through that dreaded backlog of mine. Right. Um, but it's definitely of the 2020 games that I've played, I am still in that place of just like being excited to pick it up and play it. And like, after you know, I think one of the discussions that we have around kind of these big AAA blockbuster games from Sony this year is like when they overstay their welcome, it kind of starts feeling like a chore to finish them. Yeah. And I definitely felt like the putting a bow tie and like finally putting aside final fantasy seven remake did start feeling like, okay, like this is becoming a little bit of a chore. This has been something that I really enjoyed, but it lasted I think my playthrough was like close to 50 hours. Like that's a dedicated chunk of time. And like the excitement wears off over that time for me. Whereas this is like, I feel like if I get lucky on another build and like clear the, you know, clear the first run through of it, because it sounds like there's like kind of an end game after you beat the game the first time. Yeah. Like I feel like that excitement will still be there in a way that I lose it on those longer games. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. Speaking of longer games, you messaged that you beat the Blood and Truth expansion of Witcher 3, and I'm really curious to hear <laughs> what what your experience with Witcher 3 is like, because I have not been able to discuss it with you outside of the fact that I'm still waiting for 2021's <laughs> Series X upgrade patch. No, you read my message wrong. Blood and Wine oh. is the Witcher 3 expansion. Oh, no. Yeah. What is Blood and Truth? That's okay. I'm so dumb. AJ can edit this part out. Blood and Truth is PSVR exclusive by London Studios, which is, I think, is a PSVR or PlayStation studio, maybe. That is a, they're a PlayStation owned studio. Is that the, like, almost like driver inspired VR experience? Uh, Or am I completely making this up? No, it's like a mobster. You're like a London mobster kind of slash soldier, ex soldier. Okay. But it's very, like, James Bond 007 shooty type game. It's very fun. It's like an arcade shooter almost from back in the day where I'm trying to think of what those games were even called where you had like the guns and guys like pop out and you shoot them. You know what I'm oh, talking about? Yeah. <laughs> um, Like in an arcade. Yeah, like a literal exactly. Arcade. Exactly. Um, a light gun game. Yeah, exactly. Um, So it's a lot like that, but the story is really good and the gameplay is pretty stellar for vr just the way you like reload and change weapons and stuff like that so i've been meaning speaking of backlogs man i've been meaning to beat that one for uh quite some time because i think i bought it towards the end of last year Um, and it's really good if you have a playstation vr i would highly recommend it but you and i have both been playing uh the mario collection speaking of games that aren't even close to from 2020 you're on Mario 64, I think, still. You've gotten quite a few stars, right? I have close to 40 stars at this point. I'm still kind of... I feel like I'm bad at this game. Because as soon as I went (laughs) through... There's like a door in the basement. Once you beat the first fight with Bowser, you get a key to the basement. And the basement levels, just like the difficulty ramps up very quickly. And so I'm like stumbling my way through the levels and dying way more frequently and it's still really fun i i'm like blown away with how 
creative they are with like, you know, I think there's like, there's a cliche of like, oh, this is the water level. This is the fire level. This is the desert level as an example of one. But I think the creativity that happens in those spaces of like the activities they have you do still really impresses me. Um, but I am like surprised that I'm kind of hitting a wall on like this second tier of level in a way that I wasn't expecting to. I didn't know that the game would like start killing me left and right when I accidentally fall in the lava three times <laughs> and stuff like that. And you don't get to save your, your one up mushrooms, your health, like anytime you save and quit the game, you go back down to the starting four lives. Oh, really? And so I would have like playthroughs where I was like up to 14 or 15 lives at, you know, back when I was in the easy zone and I was like, oh, this will be great for when the game gets hard. And then you save and quit and start it up again. And it's like, haha, you have four lives. Just kidding. Dude, um, I, got, I think that's a perfect example of how little thought Nintendo put into this collection um, in making it. And I know that's not what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. But yeah, I messaged you because I was like, okay, I'm 30 stars into Sunshine. Can I stop playing yet and consider it like a game I've played? Because it's just... And I hate calling games bad because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that really enjoy Sunshine. And I really wanted to, but it's just hard to believe that that game came from the same company that made Mario Galaxy and Mario Odyssey and stuff like that. And you can actually see some of the kind of level design remains in Galaxy and Odyssey from Sunshine. So they kept a lot of that stuff, but it just they vastly perfected it over the course of the years to what it is now versus what it was then. Cause I just find the controls very not fun and the camera is goofy and yeah, man, I, there were just a lot of times where I was just like looking up how to get a star just so that I could do it. And then I was like, this isn't even fun. Like I'm just doing mm -hmm. it just to go through the motions. So I'm not going to play it anymore. Is it the 3d sophomore slump for the, 3d mario yeah it must be but dude saying that though i went back to 64 and tried to play that and i think i got one star on that and i was like fuck this game this game is old dude like it just right right it, it looks like ass and the fact that like there's a i'm sure you've seen this there's a 4k version of mario 64 out there for pc that some guy developed i think his name is unreal on youtube mm -hmm. and if you're running it on PC, it runs like at 555 frames per second or something like that. Something ridiculous. So, yeah. I mean, one guy did it. So I'm sure Nintendo could have done that same thing and improved the four by three aspect ratio to a 16 by nine. And I don't know, but then I started playing Galaxy Man and almost cried because of the good memories of that game that flooded back to me. So it was still worth the $60, I say. Yeah, I think I'm in a different boat on like, they did enough to get, you know, to get me interested in buying it. And like, I also come at it from a very specific place of like, most of my experience with Mario 64 was on the DS. So like, it's, I, I like having it almost like archival. Yeah, the way that like, I like being able to switch in Halo Anniversary from the remaster to what the actual Halo 1 graphics look like. Right. And like, I understand like, but are you playing the game in the Halo 1 graphics? No. Right. 
but I think there is an, an aspect of me that's like, it almost like teleports me. It's like time travel back to when Mario 64 came out in 96 and like having the opportunity to actually play it and like take a crack at it. And I, I kind of appreciate it. I do understand like, even if it was the same like visuals, like maybe putting in more library style content, more like interviews about the impact of the series and like talking about like interviewing the designers about like, what was it like to make Mario 64? Like, as we've talked about on the pod for like the last couple weeks at the very least, like a very, very impactful, influential, like groundbreaking video game for consoles, but just in general, right? I would love to have had them package things around the importance of these games and why they need to be collected on Mario's 35th anniversary. Yeah. Um, I'm less, I'm less upset about like, well, they didn't like, you know, <laughs> they didn't spit on it and polish it enough <laughs> to make it um, compete with Tony Hawk's remaster one and two. Or right. Whatever. Right. I did. I think, I mean, I played it on DS. Was it DS or 3DS? Either way. It was a DS launch game. Okay. I feel like it looked better then than it does on the Switch. And maybe it's because it was on a smaller screen and maybe I'm just making that up in my head. But I don't know. I just feel like they could have done a better job on the package as a whole. But it is what it is. And we, we, yeah. you know, you're enjoying it and I'm enjoying Galaxy. I just started it last night and I can't wait to play that. And I can intend on playing that all the way through and getting as many stars as humanly possible before something else takes over on my switch. But for sure. Well, and I think, I think the informative thing is like the approach that we took to it, right? You started with sunshine. I'm like, Oh man, like the camera just doesn't work the way I want it to. I'm frustrated. It's like all of that stuff. Right. And then you went back to 64 and you're like, this is like practically unplayable. Yeah. And I felt like the camera in 64 started out feeling kind of like clunky and unplayable. Um, but like I'm adapting to it now and visually I, I don't care one way or another about, you know, as long as the game's readable and like, I'm able to tell what I'm doing, I could care less about the visuals, especially of Mario 64. And so like, for me, I'm excited for the opportunity to like, be like, Oh, like now I'm moving on to sunshine this controls even a little bit better than 64 and then finally end up at galaxy and be like, ah, yes, yeah. Mario galaxy. They figured like, it I, out. I really think it's like an approach thing potentially. Yeah. And the reason I started with sunshine is cause I'd never played it before. So yeah. anyway, it's, yeah, I don't know. I I'm not going to tell anybody the collections were 60 bucks cause I just don't know that it is, but it's, yeah, it is what it is. I don't want to besmirch it too much, but uh yeah i've also been playing the star wars rogues is that what it's called star wars i think it's star wars squadrons which is confusing <laughs> star wars rogue squadron used to be yeah i probably <laughs> fucked that up because it was on the rogue squadron was on 64 speaking of which and i played the shit out of that game when it was out i've only played a little bit i think aj's played a lot more than i have and i've played in vr with the hotus controller you know so you actually feel like you're piloting an x-wing which is cool the psvr is due for an update because the resolution on that thing is kind of a struggle fest so um yeah. but yeah you, maybe we'll talk more about that next week when aj's back but yeah you're right it's star wars squadrons uh just like quick like five second 
feeling of like what is it like to pilot a ship in virtual reality and like be in star wars dude it's pretty sweet i they actually had a level on battlefront the first one that was like free dlc um so i played that when i first bought the vr and that was pretty outstanding um and this is too i think i've just gotten used to the way it looks and mm-hmm. um i was on Twitter and Jeff Gersman from giant bomb was commenting how it's interesting that using a flight stick and playing in VR actually makes the game slightly more difficult, which I could definitely see because you you're just in it, you know, and you're looking around at everything rather than your screen just being on what's in front of you right away. Uh, but I, I didn't even get sick at all, which I was pretty amazed by because you can, I mean, you're flying a, ostensibly flying a ship in outer space so you can move in any direction at any time and there's no up or down and it's it was pretty nuts uh so i was surprised i didn't get sick but yeah it's fun i i'm excited to go back to it i've heard the story isn't really that long and it's all about the multiplayer but i'm just through the first prologue so i've got plenty of stuff to do yet but i'll talk more about it next week hopefully play more by then for sure well, shall we move on to a news segment here? Yeah, let's do it. It's the news. We're going to start off with a quick story about a game out of China that has just like taken over the world. Genshin Impact, which is... Uh, the anime-inspired Breath of the Wild-like that's a free-to-play game out of China from developer MiHoYo um, is just smashing all kinds of records. Um, record, well, maybe not smashing records, but definitely like taken over the cultural zeitgeist in a way that I did not see coming. Um, and so Matthew Handrahan over at GamesIndustry.biz uh, writes that Genshin Impact hits 17 million mobile downloads in just four days of its launch. Um, That's crazy. Which is a bucket load. And the game's also on PC, PS4, and coming to Switch. And so I feel like this game is just going to like be huge. Um, I've definitely heard some like really, really cool stuff about it. I, it was getting some really positive feedback and like having it be free makes me really tempted to check it out. I did hear that it kind of runs very, very poorly on even on the PS4 Pro. Oh, really? Um, and so I'm a little bit worried about it on PlayStation 4, but I was really tempted to check it out. Um, it sounds like they took things that Chris loves and put them in one place. <laughs> it's um, very, I downloaded it for my uh mobile device you know since we're talking about mobile devices i haven't played it yet because i i like some anime but this is like jrpg af because it's it's just has that art style and i also didn't love breath of the wild so my desire to try it is kind of low i probably will eventually just because you know it's such it's in the zeitgeist so much and we do do this every week. So, you know, I feel like I should know what I'm talking about occasionally, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't 
I've heard even the like gotcha aspect of it isn't too intrusive to the free to play aspect of it too, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I'm wondering if they might like have it be very welcoming at first to get it popular and then maybe tighten the screws on that once they have a huge user base to try and, you know, get more money out of people. But it would be cool if it was just super generous the whole time. That would be surprising and amazing. Oh, yeah. man. Um, I mean, how much just imagine how much money they're making off of the downloads that they currently have on all the platforms off people who are paying occasionally for to draw character cards and stuff like that. So um, I don't know for sure. It says um, it also became the most popular game streaming on Twitch the hours after its launch on September 28th. Um, it surpassed Fortnite. Um, it just was second only to the Chinese version of TikTok, um, ByteDance's Douyin, um, in terms of iOS spending out of China. Um, it's just like on mobile, it's it's taken off. And you have to imagine PC and PS4 are probably also seeing similar amounts of enthusiasm yeah um, would, which is awesome yeah i'm like this this is a game that came completely out of nowhere for me i know that it was getting some preview coverage like leading into launch week but um well they talk about a huge surprise it was out on Ch- in china joy which is like an annual festival like video game festival conference kind of like uh you know e3 here or whatever and i remember them talking about it i don't think it was maybe it was last year i thought it was two years ago that uh, I had heard it talked about then um, and how similar it was to Breath of the Wild, almost to the point of where you would think, especially being as litigious as Nintendo has been known to be in their past, like hearing this game was as similar to Breath of the Wild as it was. I'm surprised Nintendo has just kind of sat idly by. Maybe they're Nintendo's waiting until they make a ton of money off of it to take them to court. But uh, yeah, it, it's cool that it's out there. And like you said, free to play. Like imagine a free to play Breath of the Wild. Here we are. Welcome know, to the right? future. It's like, <laughs> imagine being a kid and being like, oh man, like video games are so expensive to play like all the ones people are talking about. And being like, what if you could play, <laughs> in my opinion, uh version of the best game of all time yeah exactly and Um, you can play Fortnite and genshin impact for and i mean tons of other games but like the biggest games that we know of right now are technically free to play for sure so it's kind of um yeah the next story i want to pull is a ps5 hands-on preview roundup um from adam bankhurst over at ign um over the weekend Japanese media and YouTubers got to go hands-on with the PlayStation 5. Um, They previewed the look and feel of the hardware. Uh, They got to play a couple of different games, Astro's Playroom, Godfall, I think Devil May Cry 5 came up somewhere. Um, And they got to talk about the DualSense controller. Um, They still didn't talk about the UI at all, but um, it sounds like overall the feedback is it's way quieter than the PS4. Uh, load times are super fast and uh, people are upset and confused about uh, changing the confirm button in Japan from circle to to the cross for the first time. It always used to be that circle was confirm in Japan and they've uh, standardized it across Japan and the U.S. for the first time ever. Yeah, of the things to standardize, like, I don't know, I heard I was like, this is news, not to you. But when I heard uh, people talking about this earlier today, I was like, who cares? Like, 
I don't, I don't, I can't believe Sony cared enough to standardize it across the platform. I felt like that was kind of a weird call, but I don't know how you feel. I about just it. remember like it, speaking of Final Fantasy VII, it reminded me of like when the confirm button back in Final Fantasy VII was circle instead of cross. And I just, my little child brain could not remember that. And then you'd switch between games and it would like be like, oh, now I'm backing out of the menus all the time. Yep. Um, I remember it from Metal Gear Solid, man, like all the time. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, so. Um, the thing that I think is really interesting is like, so the the next story we're going to pull is uh, from Tech Radar, which is a similar preview roundup uh, for the Series X. Um, this was written up by Henry, Henry St. Ledger. I think so. Yeah, Henry St. Ledger over at Tech Radar. Um, it just collects a series of preview coverage from around the internet of all of the stuff uh, with U.S. press being able to go hands-on with the Series X and kind of cover backwards compatibility and the user experience with, uh, you know, this what do they call the suspend state thing? Um, I think you nailed it. The <laughs> suspend state called. thing? I, yeah. I don't know what else it would be, though. Suspend? Uh, it is called... That's what I call it. I'm going to find it in here. Quick resume. Quick resume. There we go. Um, so quick resume and and all of the features there. And I'm curious, what do you take, like, the lessons that I'm taking away from this are next-gen systems, what they're able to tell us about them so far is that they are quieter and faster and prettier. Mm -hmm. Are there is there anything that you're learning from this that, like, surprised you or took you off guard or made you feel like, wow, like that's like a game changing thing. Cause a lot of the coverage is throwing around the term game changing in terms of like how fast the load times are or the quick resume is like game changing. Cause you're able to jump between game to game more quickly. But are you seeing anything in this coverage? That's like making you say like, Oh, that's going to like fundamentally change what playing video games, like what video games are made. Yeah. In the next generation. I don't think we are of a, mind to say necessarily because i i feel like the quick load times will change gaming in some ways i'm just not a developer so i'm not exactly sure how that will be but i do think for myself specifically i would be i'm stoked for quick resume for more than one game and then for load times to be cut down so substantially uh i think that's gonna be fantastic because if there's a reason i don't play my ps4 more frequently than i do it's because i have to sit down and turn it on and then load a game and get into a game and it takes it doesn't take a long time but it takes a long enough time to get if if i get interrupted and have to turn it off or whatever like then it was a complete waste of like that five to ten minutes you know what i mean so i'm super stoked about that it's it's making it more frictionless so that it's easier yeah. to jump in and actually get play happening. Yeah, which I'm pretty stoked about. So basically with the load times and the quick resume for more than one game, I I wouldn't say they're necessarily game changer, changers for like gaming necessarily. I do think the load times have the potential to be, but I do think they're convenience factors for gaming in general. Like we were just talking about your Switch, like, uh, you can click a button and you're out of a game and you can click that same button and you're right back into it. Like it's just a matter of seconds. So 
I love that about the Switch, and I always have. And imagining your PS4 being more akin to that would is pretty phenomenal to me. Yeah, for sure. Um, what do you take like the different approaches in what press is and isn't allowed to talk about as they're getting their hands on these new systems for the first time? Like Xbox has been very controlled with like when people will be able to talk about backwards compatibility and they can't yet talk about any of the next gen titles that are coming out for it. Um, Sony isn't showing off the user interface yet, but they're letting people get hands on with next gen games and all of that coverage is only coming out of Japan. How do you feel about the way they're controlling the messaging and what we're seeing from both sides? I don't, it, it is weird that Sony hasn't had them in the hands of any like a United States or even European press to give any sort of impressions on like we've had to watch YouTube videos from Japanese influencers that we don't know anything about. So I don't know. I don't care for the way that Sony is doing it. I th it's fine with me that Microsoft is doing it in this stepwise process. It's just like a game that has an embargo. You know, sometimes they embargo the first player segment on this day, and then you can talk about multiplayer on this day. Like, I feel like it's... Yeah, they're trying to get every PR beat out of this as, yeah, I mean, as humanly possible. I mean, it is smart from a marketing standpoint, man. Like, okay, you can talk about quicker zoom and the load times this first like week or two weeks that you have the system. And then after that, like, so they're getting all of the marketing beats out of that that they want. And then that comes the next, you know, stream of content that you can feed on. Um, which I guess not like you can go pre-order a system right now. So I'm not sure how much the marketing really matters, but, um, I do think it's, I, I like how Xbox is handling it way more than I like how PlayStation's handling it. That's for sure. How do you feel about it? I, I kind of agree. I think having that IV drip of info is keeping me engaged with like what's going on. And, um, I think Sony, like Sony has felt like they're keeping a lot of their cards really close to their chest, this entire reveal of the PlayStation five, like ever since they were like, this is the controller or this is Spider-Man from PS4 loading on PS5. Look at how fast it loads, right? Like the info has been very, very slowly revealed over there. Whereas I feel like Xbox has been communicating way more clearly and way more aggressively. Um, and the thing that I think is interesting is like kind of at the end of the day, without talking too much about next gen titles, like, the boxes both sound like they kind of have the same benefits, right? Right. Faster exactly. load times, you know, <laughs> easier to swap between games. I don't know if that's a feature that PS5 is going to bring to the table, but, you know, like it, it, the focus on the solid state drive and the focus on like you're going to get better performance out of games, you know, it, it feels like it doesn't have the same magic that I felt like the jump between, say, like, N64 and GameCube did in terms of sure. like that or like I mean certainly not like 2D to 3D of like the Super NES to N64 you know yeah and I, I don't disagree with you I think those days are just kind of gone because the you can only get so realistic before like the minimal gains for exp exponential effort you know what I mean at this point it's kind of uh like tangential i guess or not tangential but parabolic it's you know 
the more effort you put in, you're seeing less and less benefit for it. Um, but I, I do sure. enjoy the convenience factor that there, that it presents now. And I think that's kind of what it's all about because if anything, we're all about having the things that we want more conveniently and more readily available. So I'm really interested to see the games that are coming out for PS five specifically, because supposedly the solid state drive on that is like even faster than the Xboxes. Yeah. I heard that um, too. And so I'm interested like two to three years down the line of like people like really developing, focusing on like, what does a video game functionally has no load times? Like, what does that change for us? How do we design games differently? And I think it's really hard to have a language around that about what's exciting about it right now because especially with most of the coverage coming out of the backwards compatible stuff for xbox right now being like yeah like we reduced the load times for the initial load in one fourth like this is now 30 seconds of loading instead of two minutes like i know that that probably feels tangibly different but it doesn't change how you're playing you know sekiro um, although maybe it does if you load back in, in 10 seconds into a, you know, you died screen and then you're back in, yeah. you know, very few seconds, like maybe it keeps you engaged longer. Maybe it makes it more taxing, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's a fantastic point that you just brought up, man, because think about, so a game I love is Celeste on my switch. You died and you basically apparated back to your exact spot where you died. Like it was instantaneous. There was no load screen or anything. And it made it so much easier to keep going at that game. You know, like you can just keep going. Like you die and you're right back to where you started. Like there's no, you don't have to wait for anything. Whereas Sekiro is a fantastic point, man. Like I played that on my PC that has an SSD. And so the load screens weren't terrible, but they weren't, instantaneous and imagine if i were playing sekiro or how much less frustrating it would be a game like dark souls or bloodborne if demon's souls or, remastered yeah, one might exactly <laughs> when you're dying constantly that you don't have to sit through that like like you said it's not a substantial amount of time 30 seconds whatever but you do have to sit there and think about your failure for 30 seconds and your frustration just builds during that time where you're waiting whereas Imagine if you just died and instantaneously were back where you like your spawn point or whatever. Like, I don't know. I, th I think it has the potential to change it in more ways than we're able to conjure up in our own brains right now. You know? Yeah. I think it's really interesting because Celeste is a narrative game. Right. And I think about like, what does decoupling restarting your character death from the narrative progression of like a 3d action game like uncharted or whatever do right yeah where like or i mean ratchet and clank the new ratchet and clank could be a fantastic example of this right where it's like there's probably from what they showed like you're jumping from scene to scene without loading in that and so my question becomes like okay so like say i've seen this narrative sequence already if i die and maybe you spawn me back in right away um Am I like no longer needing to go back and like re-see that cutscene over and over again? And instead we're like in the flow of things and like death happened, but then are you like taking away any form of punishment from that death? 
I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. These are the questions we need answered, man. I know. These are the... These are the promises that we are being given about <laughs> this generation is like the solid state drive is here to revolutionize the way video games are designed. And I just, I want to know what that looks like, but I guess we'll have to wait and see, you know, yeah. that's <laughs> kind of where things are at. And it's creeping up on us, man. We're only like five weeks away, four or five weeks away. From that sweet, sweet console launch. And speaking of console launches. This week's mostly normal question, as posed by you, yeah. is what was your most memorable console launch? You go first, man. I want to hear it. Yeah, I um, I camped out for the PlayStation 3 when I was in, I believe, in high school, right? Because that was 2007. So that I could sell it on eBay. I was a terrible, <laughs> terrible scalper. Oh, no. Um, but me and I think two of my friends queued up in line overnight basically at a target in like the november chilly wisconsin weather like bundled all the way up with a bunch of people who had tents and like camper chairs like all lined up out in front of this target and we uh we made it past the cut i got the i think what the difference was like the 20 versus 60 gigabyte version and so i ended yep. up with the 20 gigabyte version my friend was the last person to get the 60 gig version that was a big deal because like when you're trying to flip it, like it was a couple hundred dollars oh, yeah. of, of profit that was taken away. Um, but we were just like schemey little high schoolers who were like, oh, I bet we could flip this. Like at the time, I remember being like, oh, like, you know, no one wants the PlayStation 3, like Xbox 360 is going to be where it's at, blah, blah, blah. I don't, even, I don't know why I thought that. But um, everybody did then, man. Yeah. And so we we flipped it. And one of the people who was waiting in line with us was a retail manager at a GameStop. And he was saying like, oh, man, I was like, you know, I really like I'm really excited for the Wii because I really wanted to play Twilight Princess on the Wii um, to the point where I pre-ordered it before I even bought the system. Um, because, you know, like the promise of being able to swing a sword and have Link swing a sword was really promising to me. Yeah. And this local retail manager was like, oh, like you don't have to worry about it. Like no one cares about the Wii. Like it's going to be fine. They're, they're selling wrong. it to like moms. And I remember like looking for a Wii because that was like a week later and just not being able to find one being like, ah, oh, curse this guy from line. He's yeah. the worst. He lied to me. Yeah. Um, and then there was also a person who was like belligerently angry about people stealing his spot in line, but he had like completely left <laughs> target Yeah. and people were just like, no, like you don't just get to hold a spot in line and leave. Right. That's not really how it works. But he was like getting threatening and we were there overnight. So like a random truck just drove by at like, you know, 10 or 11 PM in like an empty target parking lot. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh no, like, did he bring his buddies? <laughs> They're all going to um, beat down a bunch of nerds waiting for video game systems. Yeah, it was it was a very memorable night um, and and very fun, like a great like bonding experience with these friends from high school. That's awesome. Um, man. Do you <laughs> tell me about your uh, most memorable launch day yeah, story? I've got a couple. So my buddy and I, when I was in pharmacy school, I actually did camp out for the Wii and uh, we were at Target and we took turns because it was november was it november it was november or something yeah, like that it, in nebraska it so it's cold man it's like i mean oh, man probably not as bad as here but like pretty close uh so we were taking turns like going and sitting in the car and warming ourselves up and then finally they got smart man i feel like after the ps3 because if you remember there was a 
a lot of problems there. I think there was a Walmart who had people like stand a certain distance away and then race to the front of the store and whoever made oh, it yeah. first. You remember that? I feel like I do remember. So, hearing about this. yeah, I think places got a little bit smarter after this and Target at a certain time, like came out and handed out like these tickets. So it like confirmed that you were getting one and then you could like leave and come back when the store opened. But we had to sit there from like, I think we got there at midnight or 1am and we sat there till like six or something. And then went and ate some Burger King Oof. and came back. And I think by the time I like got my, Wii set up to play twilight princess or whatever, I like passed out cause I was so exhausted. <laughs> but I think my most memorable one is when I was in high school and this is showing my age, but whatever is when the PS two came out and I convinced my brother I don't think my family listens to the podcast, so we're safe. But uh, I convinced my brother, my parents were maybe out of town. No, they weren't. I convinced my brother to write me a note for school saying that I couldn't (laughs) attend that day. And at like three or four o'clock in the morning, I set my alarm and got in my car and drove down to uh, Omaha from my hometown Blair and sat there in line for the PS2 and got one of those on release day and then went over to my friend's house whose parents were home and played it until everybody, all my friends got done with school. But that was probably the most memorable one. That was pretty awesome. Oh, that's amazing. But I still remember the day that um, I got a PlayStation 2, which I it was certainly not launch day, but I remember distinctly having the Disney Channel original movie Alley Cat Strike playing and then coming out and getting it from my parents minivan and like going upstairs and I think I was excited about it to play Tekken Tag Tournament or something nice and just like sneaking upstairs to play Tekken Tag Tournament and interrupting Alley Cat Strike on Disney Channel. <laughs> um, yeah wild amazing yeah. I might still camp out this year for my for a PlayStation 5 even though I have one confirmed because there's something about it man i i i like it dude it's i don't know it's a bunch of people who are share the same passion that you do and uh i don't know it's kind of cool plus now i mean i have a tent i probably could get a space heater to warm myself up it i bring a cooler you know i i feel like i have the amenities to make it possible so if i have the day off you're gonna I might do just full do on anyway. urban camping experience <laughs> yeah, for the PS5. exactly i'm gonna do glamping dude i'm gonna have like a bed set up with a nice bedspread and some candles and whatnot you know well, you're right though like there is like a communal feeling that i think like was really special about when my friends lined up for the ps3 like I just had my, I think it was like at the time my DS out and people were like, Oh, like what game are you playing? Like it, it back then, I feel like it was a lot harder in person to like link up with like, Hey, fellow gamer, like, yeah. are you excited to talk with me about nerd shit? Yeah. Like, I feel like it was way rarer. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do agree. Like there is some like camaraderie that you get out of that experience of lining up for a system. Yeah. It's like a community event without it having to plan for it. You know what I mean? Like you just know that people with similar interests are going to be in this place at the same time as you. Like, I don't know. It's kind of cool. So it's like a, I don't a know. mixer or like speed dating for <laughs> yes, nerds. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. All right. Good times. That's amazing. Now yeah. I'm even more excited for this console launch. Oh, it's just getting worse and worse, John. <laughs> I know. I, I, to be honest, the more I hear about it, I, I'm not very excited for, the 
like any of the games like that. I'm not terribly excited for any of the games. I'm just excited for the like, what do I want to say? Like the enthusiasm that people have, the hype that people have, the hype that I have, like you and I just talking about, you know, camping out to wait for systems. Like there's a, a certain level of excitement and I love that. You know what I mean? Great. Yes. 2020 is a year that needs more excitement. Yeah, no, for sure. Exactly. <laughs> more positive excitement. Oh yeah. I'll need my um, mask if I'm going to wait outside, won't I? Yeah. that's. But then you could tell people like, I waited in line for the PS5. Yes, exactly. See? In COVID. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Anyways, I think that's going to do it for the show today. Yeah. Um, thanks everyone for joining the podcast this week and listening in. John, where can people keep up with what you're doing day to day on the internet there? Um, they can hit me up at Johnny Samsonite on the Twitterverse. I'm usually there posting some things occasionally. If you want to follow AJ, he is at AJ underscore ID. His last name's E-I-D-E. You can yeah. follow him. You can follow the podcast at mostly no, no at MN Gamers Podcast. Yes. Okay. On the Twitterverse, or you can email us at podcast at Mostly normalgamers.com. You can catch me at VG Occasion, where I occasionally post about video games. <laughs> I, that's oh, that that handle's just grown on me over time. Yeah. It's an interesting um, one. Yeah, and come by our website or mngamers.substack.com to subscribe for mostly normal monthly. Uh, if you catch this on Friday, you still have like a quick two days before we send it out on Monday. Uh, and you can check out our thoughts and feelings about video games in print. Yeah. Um, but I think I think that's going to do it. Everyone go play some games and have a great week. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.